Section nine of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter eighteen London, october thirtieth, old style, seventeen forty seven. Dear boy, I am very well pleased with your itinerarium, which you sent me from Ratisbon. It shows me that you observe and inquire as you go, which is the true end of travelling. Those who travel heedlessly from place to place, observing only their distance from each other, and attending only to their accommodation at the inn at night, set out fools, and will certainly return so. Those who mind only the rarey shows of the places which they go through, such as steeples, clocks, town-houses, etc., get so little by their travels, that they might as well stay home. But those who observe, and inquire into the situations, the strength, the weakness, the trade, the manufactures, the government, and constitution of every place they go to, who frequent the best companies, and attend to their several manners and characters, those alone travel with advantage, and as they set out wise, return wiser. I would advise you always to get the shortest description or history of every place where you make any stay, and such a book, however imperfect, will still suggest to you matter for inquiry, upon which you may get better informations from the people of the place. For example, while you are at Leipzig, get some short account, and to be sure there are many such, of the present state of the town, with regard to its magistrates, its police, its privileges, etc., and then inform yourself more minutely upon all those heads in conversation with the most intelligent people. Do the same thing afterward with regard to the electorate of Saxony. You will find a short history of it in Puffendorf's introduction, which will give you a general idea of it, and point out to you the proper objects of a more minute inquiry. In short, be curious, attentive, inquisitive, as to everything. Listlessness and indolence are always blamable, but at your age they are unpardonable. Consider how precious, and how important for all the rest of your life, are your moments for these next three or four years, and do not lose one of them. Do not think I mean that you should study all day long. I am far from advising or desiring it. But I desire that you would be doing something or other all day long, and not neglect half-hours and quarters of hours, which at the year's end may amount to a great sum. For instance, there are many short intervals during the day, between studies and pleasures. Instead of sitting idle and yawning in those intervals, take up any book, though ever so trifling a one, even down to a jest-book. It is still better than doing nothing. Nor do I call pleasures idleness or time lost, provided they are the pleasures of a rational being. On the contrary, a certain portion of your time, employed in those pleasures, is very usefully employed. Such are public spectacles, assemblies of good company, cheerful suppers, and even balls. But then, these require attention, or else your time is quite lost. There are a great many people who think themselves employed all day, and who, if they were to cast up their accounts at night, would find that they had done just nothing. They have read two or three hours mechanically, without attending to what they read, and consequently without either retaining it or reasoning upon it. From thence they saunter into company, without taking any part in it, and without observing the characters of the persons, or the subjects of the conversation, but are either thinking of some trifle, foreign to the present purpose, or often not thinking at all, which silly and idle suspension of thought they would dignify with the name of absence and distraction. They go afterwards, it may be, to the play, where they gape at the company and the lights, but without minding the very thing they went to, the play. Pray do you be as attentive to your pleasures as to your studies. 
In the latter, observe and reflect upon all you read, and in the former, be watchful and attentive to all that you see and hear, and never have it to say, as a thousand fools do, of things that were said and done before their faces, that truly they did not mind them because they were thinking of something else. Why were they thinking of something else? And if they were, why did they come there? The truth is that the fools were thinking of nothing. Remember the hoc age. Do what you are about. Be what it will. It is either worth doing well or not at all. Wherever you are, have, as the low vulgar expression is, your ears and your eyes about you. Listen to everything that is said, and see everything that is done. Observe the looks and countenance of those who speak, which is often a surer way of discovering the truth from what they say. But then keep all those observations to yourself, for your own private use, and rarely communicate them to others. Observe without being thought an observer, for otherwise people will be upon their guard before you. Consider seriously and follow carefully, I beseech you, my dear child, the advice which from time to time I have given, and shall continue to give you. It is at once the result of my long experience and the effect of my tenderness for you. I can have no interest in it but yours. You are not yet capable of wishing yourself half so well as I wish you. Follow, therefore, for a time at least, implicitly, advice which you cannot suspect, though possibly you may not yet see the particular advantages of it, but one day you will feel them. Adieu. Letter 19. London, November 6th, Old Style, 1747. Dear boy, three mails are now due from Holland, so that I have no letter from you to acknowledge. I write you, therefore, now, as usual, by way of flapper, to put you in mind of yourself. Dr. Swift, in his account of the island of Laputa, describes some philosophers there who were so wrapped up and absorbed in their true abstruse speculations that they would have forgotten all the common and necessary duties of life, if they had not been reminded of them by persons who flapped them, whenever they observed them continue too long in any of those learned trances. I do not, indeed, suspect you of being absorbed in abstruse speculations, but with great submission to you, may I not suspect that levity, inattention, and too little thinking require a flapper, as well as too deep thinking? If my letters should happen to get to you when you are sitting by the fire and doing nothing, or when you are gaping at the window, may they not be very proper flaps, to put you in mind that you might employ your time much better? I knew once a very covetous, sordid fellow, who used frequently to say, Take care of the pence, for the pounds will take care of themselves. This was a just and sensible reflection in a miser. I recommend to you to take care of the minutes, for hours will take care of themselves. I am very sure that many people lose two or three hours every day by not taking care of the minutes. Never think any portion of time whatsoever too short to be employed. Something or other may always be done in it. While you are in Germany, let all your historical studies be relative to Germany. Not only the general history of the empire as a collective body, but the respective electorates, principalities, and towns, and also the genealogy of the most considerable families. A genealogy is no trifle in Germany, and they would rather prove their two-and-thirty quarters than two-and-thirty cardinal virtues, if there were so many. They are not of Ulysses' opinion, who says, very truly, genus et provos, et qua non fecimus ipsi, vix ia nostra voco. Good night. End of section 9. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.